Take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. You can earn four times points on your top two eligible spending categories every month, like transit, U.S. restaurants, and gas stations. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Four times points on up to $150,000 in purchases per year. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash businessgoldcard. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Yeah, there should be some passion. This doesn't have to be boring. Boring, boring. Hey, one thing the game needs is more people like you. You, you. Still have grown men run around tight pants. It's Mookie Betts. It's Daniel Bard. It's Steve Aoki. Here's Salt Lamakia. This is Brock Holt. Hey, this is John Lester. Baseball is baseball. Baseball isn't boring. Welcome to Baseball Isn't Boring. No Rob Bradford today. Uh, Jeff Joyce in for Rob Bradford. He is off this week. Uh, guy works every day of the year, so good day to be off. It has been the offseason of the Dodgers so far. In case you have not heard, obviously the first big domino was Joe Kelly, then Shohei Otani, and then Yamamoto followed. Uh, so who better to talk to than Dodgers hitting coach Aaron Bates, which, by the way, you're like every other guest on this podcast because you have Red Sox ties and you're a Dodger. You know, Joe Kelly, Rich Hill, like all of the all of the regulars. I don't know what Rich Hill, I don't know what Joe Kelly's title is. I think he's like the CFO, the chief fund officer of the Baseball Isn't Boring podcast. So uh, good to talk to you, man. You just got back from Disney today, right? Yeah, we just got back a few hours ago. We were there for uh, a long time. But it was a good time with the family and the and our my brother-in-law, sister-in-law, and my nieces and my my three kids and my uh, mother and father-in-law. It was it was it was a big group, eleven of us, but we got through it and they all had a great time. Nice, nice. So uh, we'll give people a little background on you. You grew up in California, Santa Cruz, right? You grew up yep. in Santa Cruz. Yeah. Uh, went to NC State, two-time All-American. Uh, nice little season in 2005, hit 425. That, 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 I mean, that has to be one of the best all-time seasons in NC State history. What was that year like? You must have felt unconscious that year. It was kind of like a slow build. You know, I got – I was kind of – you never know when your game is going to blossom. And I think I got better and better as the year went on. And then it turned out by the end of the year, like it was probably the last month and a half of the season where you do feel unconscious. You know, college baseball you play, it's a – Friday through Sunday, Tuesday, Wednesday type of a thing. Um, but when, it, when the season opened in February, February, March, April, it was uh, – I was getting hits and all that, but it was kind of like uh, feeling your way through it a little bit, and then you build that momentum up, and then you, it kind of clicks for players at different times. And so, you know, I had a great coaching staff who I'm so super close with there at NC State, Coach Avon and Coach Hart. And, uh, yeah, they they just let me do my thing. But it was a, it was a fun year. Nice. Um, you were a, uh, you were the, the home run derby champ in the all-star game of the Cape league. Who did you, do you remember who you beat out in that home run derby? 
It was a pitcher hitter. I, he was drafted by somebody. It wasn't um, – I can't remember who it was, honestly. It was a pitcher slash hitter. I mean, there was a lot of good guys in that, that cape that year because that year, for some reason, there was no gold medal games for the Team USA team, so a lot of the kids went to play in the cape instead. You had Longo and, and just a bunch of different guys. You know, as far as you go down the, the list of pitchers and position players that went through there that season, uh, Linscombe and Masterson and Daniel Bard and all these other guys, and um, Mano Burris, who works for us now, he was, he was a big dude then. Uh, Coglin, all, all these guys were there. And, um, I just kind of got into a groove as far as the home run derby went and, um, you know, went up going and advancing a couple of rounds and then was taking pitches. It was a bad pitch, but just get, you get into a groove and you start letting it eat and see what happens. And it worked out good. Uh, Oh nine got called up, played some games for the Red Sox, hit 364 that year. Then, then when you got into coaching, you started in the Dodgers organization and gradually moved up. I think I had read somewhere before where the, you know, because you had ties to Mike Hazen and Tori Lovello because Tori was one of your managers in the minor leagues. So they didn't they try and hire you away from the Dodgers at some point? Yeah, actually, they did. I mean, Hayes was my farm director when I first got drafted. Um, he had just came over from Cleveland, I guess, and uh, he was the farm director for the years I was there. And then in my last year with uh, Boston organization, Triple A, Tory was my manager. So I got to know Tory really well. He treated me great. And Tory's the best. He's a, he's a great manager. And he's as a, from that, the 25 year old kid, 26 year old kid, he, he was, you couldn't ask for any more that, that period of time. And I was at Pawtucket. And then I want to say the fall of 2018, I was at Disney. Like I just came back from, um, they, they called, they wanted to interview me for the assistant job with the Diamondbacks. And, um, the Dodgers wind up matching the offer. And so I didn't wind up getting a chance to interview with the Diamondbacks because the Dodgers just basically matched the role and they kind of morphed myself into the role that I was in previous years where I would um, be the assistant hitting coach under uh, Robert and Brant Brown and, and, and then also run the minor leagues that year in 2019. I was the hitting coordinator slash director of hitting. So it kind of was a, a dual role, but we, that year just to elaborate was I had every hitting coach that was in our system, except for one, maybe was, is a major hitting coach now. So it was a very easy job as far as when you're so-called the director of hitting and all the hitting coaches are now major league hitting coaches. They're doing a pretty good job. So was, uh, I was fortunate to have a lot of uh, great people working around me. Well, didn't one of your, one of your minor league teams when you were with the Red Sox, didn't you have, when there were a couple managers in your team when Kevin Cash and somebody else, I can't remember. Um, I've never really thought about it. Yeah, there was the Red Sox at that time was like the pipeline. It was like kind of the Harvard of the of the minor leagues as far as guys coming out of there and, yeah. and being major league players and then coaches too. And then you look at like the the pedigree of front office guys with Hazen and Sherrington and the Theo pedigree that was coming down that chain. Um, and Jared Banner just got hired as another AGM somewhere, GM. Like it just the it's a laundry list of people that came from that Red Sox regime. And then I was fortunate enough to be drafted into that regime as a player and kind of grew up in that system. And then as a coach, now fast forward, you have David Finley, who was our an EVP for us and, and also Galen Carr, who was an EVP for us as well. Um, and I didn't really get to meet them all that much when I was a player in that organization, but then you fast forward there the, with the Dodgers now and they, you know, they, they knew exactly who I was and I, I knew who they were, but it just, uh, it was a great organization to be a part of at that time and that time of for baseball. Yeah, no, yeah, you guys had some great players back uh, back in those days. So, have you just always been like a hitting junkie? Like, are you just a cage rat? Like, what? Like, you know, is was that just always your thing? Because I mean, you hit in college. You're a hitting coach now. Like, like, did you have you just always loved hitting? Have you just always studied hitting? 
So I've actually – I never wanted to coach when I was a player. It's, that's kind of funny. Um, well, I, well, I don't think anybody does, do they? Like, Because then you're yeah. kind of admitting, like, all right, my career is going to be over, right? No, like my next career, I guess you could say. I always oh, kind I of saw myself as like a front office or just doing something. I never really wanted to be a coach. And then my last year playing, uh, I was with a coach in AA, Chattanooga. Um, and uh, he, uh, he wound up convincing me. He just said, hey, I know you didn't want to coach ever, but you've been coaching for four months so far, you know, whether you res or not. Because I was on the Phantom and I was just kind of uh, on the way out. Um, and it, it was Corey Sear just got called up. And it's now it's Corey Sear's hitting coach now who, who wound up convincing me of doing that. But I guess I always was fascinated with hitting and the mechanical side of it. Um, when hitting comes really easy to a lot of people, I think sometimes you might lose sight of it. But if it's harder for others, you kind of learn the, the, learn the, the task a little bit more. That's not obviously, you know, for everybody in that sense. It's, it's, it's not like set in stone. But I was always a cage rat in a sense of when PD or, or Dave Ortiz would go to the cages, I'm going to sit there and watch the routine. Or I'll learn and see what they're doing and that kind of thing and see if I can do that, you know, without the information that we have in this day and age. I mean, with the Dodgers and with it, you know, all around baseball, we have so much information and video and, and, and every which way of breaking things down as way your body moves. You know, 15 years ago, you didn't have any of that stuff. It was kind of just, oh, this guy does this. So I'm going to try to do that, that kind of thing. Yeah. How, how have you morphed it in that arena? Because, like, you know, some old school guys were slow, I guess, to, to maybe want to embrace certain things. Like, where – what was kind of where, where have you kind of gone along here in the path and 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 gotten to where you are now? Like, what was there like a turning point? Was there somebody that like opened their, your mind to something and you're like, oh, okay, like I I can I can buy into this. I think uh, it's it's if you're open minded and you always want to learn learn your trade, you're going to be open minded and try to pick and choose and, and see what's out there. Um, I I always loved the art of hitting, and I think I had a good idea of what it should look like or what it should be and could kind of uh, take certain things with a grain of salt as if you, as I got older, um, when the Dodgers hired Craig Wallenbrock and Robert Renskwak, who I work with now, they, uh, they both opened my eyes to a lot of things and, and we kind of learned together too. And Craig, you know, he called me today and I, I owe him a call back, but he, uh, he, he's been great as far as that kind of thing goes, as far as just the creativity. And he's got, he's basically got this giant database of information of players he's worked with and things he's tried. So, if you're, you can use people like as a soundboard and for help and for different situations, um, it's just, uh, it's invaluable. You're, and you're always going to learn. You're going to learn from your players more than you're going to learn from someone else most of the time anyways, you know, like what works for them. And you're constantly learning from your other coaches. You know, Robert's been around forever and he's, he's, I learn from him every day in that sense. But I think, uh, I think it's being open-minded and, and egoless coaching and just kind of being willing to learn and you, you you use those, the technology as a piece. It's just, it's just one piece to the puzzle, right? It's not the end all be all. And just a lot of times, if it's an old school guy, it's a lot of times it's going to validate what he sees anyways, but it, it, it validates it on paper or in a, in a, on an iPad. So that way they can see what they're seeing. They can say what they're seeing and it's just, Hey, what you're seeing is correct, but this actually shows it's correct. So that's going to help, you know, sell it to whomever, you know, X, Y, Z. But uh, I think it's just always wanting to learn and, and get better at your trade is what, is what it comes down to. So now that most teams have multiple hitting coaches, like I break it down for us. How do you guys work? Do you like split the personnel up or, you know, do you handle certain aspects like scouting reports and, you know, somebody else works, Robert works with like more technical stuff. Like how do you guys break that up to be as efficient as possible? So we just got, we brought on last year. He's great. JT Watkins. He does a lot of, he puts from pen to paper um, scouting reports as far as, you know, we all go over them together. 
but it's uh it is very time consuming putting that into a PowerPoint, which we have Will Irish and different guys that do that for us. And and we all do it together, I guess you could say. No one's working for somebody else. It's a, it's a totally like a team situation. Um, ideally, nobody has any guys as far as individual hitting coaches because you want those hitters to be interchangeable no matter who, what coach they're working with. You want them to own their craft and like know what they want and know what they need. It's kind of like sending uh, your kids off to school. Like You want them to kind of really understand what makes them good and what makes them you know tick in that sort of sense. So when it comes to Robert and I, we just, we talk almost every day, you know, we, I think we didn't talk the last two or three days because of Christmas time and he knew I was at Disney. So it was kind of a, yeah. uh, one of those things, but um, we're, we try to make it as interchangeable as possible by not divvying up like uh, certain guys and players and trying to make it so where the players are interchangeable, you know, like last year, obviously him and JD have such great history together. So that was easy where he would work with JD, but I'd be there. We'd talk and that sort of stuff and just kind of just be a soundboard and be available. And, and you just kind of look at it as like you're, you're all three of the guys or if JT's there too, like you're the four of us are breaking down a puzzle. But a lot of times, like if you have with JD and, and him and Mook's history, they, they're talking together too. So it's kind of a, it becomes more collaborative and more of a, a um, laid back, you know, you're discussing something in a non like classroom setting. It's just more of just a, in a cage setting. And I think that actually lands better with the players than kind of sit down and and uh, talking like a lesson type of a thing or as far as, you know, pen and paper. So it, as far as like, um, you know, you see a lot of guys now that don't hit on the field, don't hit in the cage before games. Like, what do you think about it? Do you think it's good, not good to hit on the field, hit in the cage better? Like, is there is there or is it just personal preference for guys? Personal preference for me. I mean, Freddie Freeman hits once, twice, three times a month on the field, depending on what he's feeling or working on. Mook likes to hit on the field to see his low ball flight the other way, that kind of thing. Obviously, both those guys are extremely great players, and so it's to each their own, and they have different reasons for it. Um, I, and they've been around the leagues. So they know the backdrops. They know the fields. They know the environment, so they don't need to get out there. I think if it's a young guy, a rookie, like he should probably go out there and hit on the field and get like used to the surroundings a little bit um, yeah. and just get, get – in the feel of the stadium and what's going on, or if there's a, if it's a postseason game, I like get what the, the media is all behind the turtle. Like it's important for those guys, those young guys to feel that a little bit and get, get their, you know, you know, get their nerves going. But um, you know, Freddie Mookie, whomever, like, you know, there's guys across the league that don't hit on the field. They've been around, they know what they need. That's, I think that's great when they know what they need and they, and they want to in the field or they don't. It just, it, like you said, it's personal preference. So, Shohei Otani, uh, best Christmas present you've ever gotten, adding adding him to your lineup with the Dodgers? Yeah, I think him and uh, Yamato both. I, I sent Andrew a Christmas list on December 2nd. I looked at it today. I took my kids to see Santa, and they said, well, Dad, what do you want for Christmas? And I'm like, well, matter of fact, I think I'm going to send Santa a Christmas list of what I would like. <laughs> and he, uh, the front office and ownership and Andrew, they, they came through a dock, and so I sent them a I thank you on the 26th. Like, hey, best Christmas ever, guys. I really appreciate you <laughs> acknowledging my Christmas list this year. And then Andrew said, well, in past years, you've never really sent me one. So that's not my fault. But uh, they, uh, what a year, what an offseason they had as far as across the board. And it's not just the position players. It's just the, the whole thing, you know, the whole, the whole you know, nine yards and, and the work that went into it, you know, starting earlier in the offseason. And, and um, yeah, I'm excited to work with Shoei. And I have some really good buddies that were with the Angels, Um that give me some background on him and what he likes and what he doesn't like. And Robert and I will talk about it. And it's kind of just, you know, you just support and then you, you just play it slow and see what he needs and, and go from there. So, I mean, obviously you've seen him play, you've watched him. I'm, I'm sure you've watched film already this off season. 
What impresses you the most about him? Because I remember, I think it was probably 2021, um, early in the year, and they were playing the Blue Jays in Dunedin. And somebody had got him swing and miss a changeup down in the way. And either later in that at bat or the next at bat, threw him the same changeup down in the way, and he absolutely destroyed it. I was like, holy crap. Like, the strength that he had to get to that pitch – and like his oppo strength is just fascinating. But from like a hitting coach standpoint, what do you see when you see him that, I mean, just makes you say, wow. Well, one is flexibility and his long levers, right? So he's able to ride pitches out longer than most guys. So he looks like he's fooled, but he can flick a ball over the fence because he's so strong. Um, so the margin of error there is just crazy, right? So you got a guy that can catch up to a heater and then, he doesn't have a lot of forward movement in that sense or speeding the ball up. And then he's able to kind of be fooled, you know, keep his upper body back, his hands back, he'd ride a pitch out and flick at it. And it's a double in the gap or it's a homer or whatever. So he just got this margin of error where he could be off time or, or fooled and still impact the baseball, which is just obviously with the hand, eye and the speed and all that stuff is it goes with it. But I just, it, I think it, it's a, it's a nightmarish type of a bat for pitchers because of his, his long limbs, you know, and we have some other guys too, Freddie and Mookie and, and, and Will Smith and Muncie, these other guys are really good at the same thing, but they just don't have like the long limbs. I mean, Freddie does with, as far as the way he's off time, he can flick balls, you know, over the shortstop's head and that sort of thing. So I guess they're all impressive um, in their own right, you know, and I, I look at them all in their best version of themselves when it comes down to our hitters. Um, they're going to have bad moments too, where they look fooled or they don't look so great, but you just kind of try to keep them in the middle. And, and with Shohei, I think it's his long limbs and his strength and ability to, to be fooled and still impact the baseball. So Mookie and Freddie, obviously, two great players, you know, Hall of Fame track for both of these guys. Um, I, they, they also seem like two of the most humble, you know, down-to-earth superstars you could possibly have in, in sports. So from like a coaching standpoint, w- what is it like w- with those guys and, and their approachability and, you know, being able to you know, tell them things they're doing wrong or, or whatever it is? Well, I think that hitters still want to be coached. Players want to be coached, right? No matter what, no matter what their status is or who they are. And, and Mookie and Freddie want to be coached. So when they're going great, they want feedback. And when they're going, they're off, they want to, you know, some suggestions of what's going on. So I think part of what makes them great is just being able to really be coached and and and, and want that feedback. Are, are there times where, like, how much of a therapist are you to these guys as well? Or... I, I, how much of a therapist are you to these guys as well? Or are they just at that level where they, they don't need that? Is, no, is there I more think like you're younger always, guys that need No, that? You're, you're there for all those guys. You know, you're, that's, what, that's kind of part of the job is you're a soundboard for them or you're talking them through things or um, reiterating things to them or, or, or reinforcing or even – that's what I said about wanting to be coaches. Um, I do think that players will respect it more sometimes if you don't agree with something and you, you know – gain that trust with them they want to hear that they want to know if it's if it's something's array or something's wrong they don't always want to hear it's going great there's a time and a place for that as far as you know gas them up a little bit but they know when they feel right or they feel off and so I think that uh shoot them straight is the best way to go usually and uh they I think that they value that feedback from a coach like I said I think all players want to be coached regardless you know who they are what status they're at did you see uh, Joe Kelly got a Porsche out of the whole thing? Yeah, so Joe, Joe and I coached Lily baseball together for the last couple of years. Not this oh. past fall, but, but Knox, Knox and my, my oldest, Huddy, are the same age. And so 
um his wife texted my wife when he got a Porsche and and, and then uh <laughs> yeah it's just it's just as what it is I mean that's and Ashley I feel like she's more of a pickup truck and she's got you know they have like, <laughs> the four or five kids and it's like she's they're all they're, what like a great family they are so it's it's all uh in good fun and, and I'm happy for them well, they, did you see he revealed on the podcast that he actually, after they, after he gave away Otani's number, then he asked for Yamamoto's number. It seemed like he was kind of double dipping to try and get like a second. He second probably, Joe's part. extremely smart. And it's uh, anytime he gives our little league team pitching lessons, I want to voluntarily catch just so I can listen to him talk to the, the kids because he's actually, he's amazing about it. So it wouldn't surprise me if he did it on purpose. So what, all right. So what is your best Joe Kelly story since he's such a big part of the uh, baseball is important podcast? Um, I mean, there's not just one, <laughs> maybe the fact that he throws a hundred and he's 175 pounds soaking wet. Uh, the, the throwing the ball through the window during COVID was, was a good one when he, when he was that trying was to good. work on his change up, you know, that thing. I, I just enjoy watching him coach our kids. Honestly, he's really good at that. Like he's good. He's a good, it's a, it's amazing because he's so, so humble down to earth. He's coaching our kids about how to pitch and I'll send him videos of uh, or I'll show him a video in the locker. Hey, this is how you, what do you got? He's like, Oh, he's late and separating his hands. So I'm like, all right, honey, FaceTime Joe, coach Joe said you're late. It's coach Joe. And so honey just looks at him as that way. But um, I can't say I have one best Coach Joe's story, other than the fact that I think that the person I that everybody sees is what he is, um, and he's but he's a competitor on the mound, and it's the guy that you just trust, and he, regardless of what happens, he's, he's never scared, and he's um, yeah, he's awesome. I mean, I'd say like I'll forever just think of the pouty lip, the pouty lip after he after he threw up and in that that was probably my favorite. Or, but I mean, you know, growing up in Boston, I think he just he ingratiated himself to Red Sox fans with the brawl against the Yankees, like forever, you know, he was just, he was that guy. Like fans love him everywhere. He's an American. I mean, hero. it's must see TV when he faces Tatis with the, with the Padres. I will <laughs> say that you're going to stand up and watch see what happens. Be, you know, and regardless, Joe's not afraid. Tatis gets a hit. It's fine. But usually, he's, you know, it's just watching those at bats. It's just, uh, it's always a, uh, it's entertainment in itself. So who's the pitcher? Like, are you glad as a hitting coach now that pitchers don't hit anymore? Like, I know they all still want to. And who's the pitcher that still bugs you guys and thinks he can hit? Um, well, in 2021, Julio and Kirsch at certain times were two of our better hitters because we were so hurt. And we still won 106 games. But there's times where even the playoff, I think Julio had a bases loaded two out single or double to break up, break up into the scoreless games. So Julio and Kirsch could always hit. Kirsch can – I actually – I like watching Kirsch go about it because he spreads out his, – his, his feet are as wide as the batter's box. It's unbelievable how wide he gets. And he just tries to spoil as many pitches as possible until the ball goes forward. So he just tries to pick at that. Um, I don't mind watching him him hit. Uh, talking to Lance Lynn last year, he said he was terrible. He said he hated hitting. It was a waste of his time. That was interesting. Uh, Scherzer, I think, was 0 for, 0 for 50 or something the year in 21 when we got him. Maybe even more than that. He, he didn't get hit the whole season, I want to say. Uh, and that was fun to watch, watch him try to hit. But uh, as far as guys, that's, Bueller is always going to think that he can hit because Bueller thinks he can do everything. So I, I would say Bueller is the one that probably still thinks he can hit, but he's been hurt, so he hasn't swung a bat for a while. Yeah. No, yeah. Well, and I don't know how he hits with those tight pants, too. Like, that's uh, – Yeah, but you, you speak, you're preaching to the choir. 
See, I the, the thing I miss the most, I uh, if there was like a pitcher that I want to see hit, it's Rich Hill just because of when he does the high stepping down to first base. Like watching him run to first base as hard as he can is just it's the best thing. So there's and he flicks his wrist back too. It's kind of a flicky wrist that he runs with and it's kind of just it's a, it's a prance. I'm not going to call it a run. I think Rich prances down to first base. <laughs> and you, but you can't like, but he's serious though, right? Like you can't laugh at him when he comes in, right? I laugh at him. I have to laugh. Okay. It's like it's like Rich will be like, "Did you guys enjoy this stuff? Trying to hit like because he's just he's so serious about it." And I played with Richie in 2010 in AAA with Boston. Uh, he he's trying his best, but it is fun watching him hit because he will make up a new stance. He'll try every which thing, and that prance, like you just said, running the first base is pretty funny. That is priceless. I, I do miss that more than more than anything. I you know I I just thought of this, but since you had him before, and I, I know I, I've I've read before that you've said, you know, you you and Bellinger uh, could could talk some good smack against each other. How happy were you for him last year to see the season that he had after the struggles that he had the, the previous couple of years? Oh, I love being Billy, Billy and I are close. And um, their hitting coach, Justin Kelly and I are even closer. We, we've known each other for 20 years. We played together in Boston's organization as well. Um, but Billy's a good dude. His family, it's a great family. I, I couldn't be more excited for him. I mean, I hope he signs any biggest deal he can possibly get this winter. Um, he's a good player. You know, he, and I think that he was grinding. He was hurt for two years. And it was uh, he was playing through a lot of things. And that 2020, 2021 postseason – that giant series and even the the Braves series, he was playing through some injuries and he was, he just gutted it through it. It was, I was proud of him. And I'm, I'm happy for him now. Proud of him again. All right. Well, I have one last question for you. So obviously when Shohei signed, everybody wanted to know, well, all right, what's the lineup order going to be? Like, is that something you guys all talk about as well? Like what, like where you think guys would fit in the best? Like, is it Mookie, Shohei, Freddie, one, two, three? Like, how do you how do you split that up? Like, how do you guys go about that? I mean, that's more of a Doc question than it is for me. My job is to get the hitters ready to go. <laughs> and then if Doc asks me or if I ask the players what they want, I think it's going to depend on how they're feeling at the plate that day. Um, I think uh, I think there, there, there's ways of maximizing their abilities. But honestly, with those three guys, you just put them all in the best situation to succeed possible. Um, Mookie hit third behind uh, or in front of David for a while in 2016, I want to say, at Boston. So he's hit in the middle of the order before. I mean, Freddie obviously and Shohei have both hit in the middle of the order. So I think it kind of depends on what they want to do with the left, uh, the left, right, left thing or the left, left, right thing, that kind of thing. But um, I think those guys are going to be successful regardless. You just put them in the best situation to succeed. But as far as the actual line of construction, that's more of a, a doc question than it is for me. But uh, if he asks me, and he, you know, he'll have his reasons or why, or if I, he want, needs to be a soundboard, I'd always be there for him in that sense. But uh, I think those guys are, they're first class and they're going to perform regardless. I, I did just think of this because you were, you were a big time high school quarterback, right? Back in the day. I was, yeah. That was my favorite sport was football. Yeah. So, well, did, well, first off, did NC state have any interest in you in, in football or no? No. Cause I transferred it from San Jose state to NC state. So I was a baseball only at that point in time, oh. but, uh, but yeah, no, I was uh, I was a late bloomer when it came to football, and uh, that was just that uh, I just enjoyed going in a huddle and kind of like trying to will the ten guys around you to to beat the guy in front of you and knowing whatever everyone's job was was to do and and you know that kind of thing. It was just uh, it was a, it was a unique like challenge to unite a team together, and you're in a position if you're a quarterback to kind of do that. I guess you could say. 
Well, because I was going to ask you, because Doc was a big-time high school quarterback as well. Was He was like an option quarterback, right? Like, do you guys, have you, you guys ever talked about fly. that? Well, two different styles. Doc could fly. I couldn't. I'm more of a – I'm, I'm going <laughs> to drop back, and it's going to be hard to tackle more like a Roethlberger-type guy. And Doc's going to run around and win the game by himself. It's a whole different thing than it is for me and him. Um, but Doc was a tremendous athlete. Did he have Did he have an arm, or, or was he just oh, he, mobile? He could sling it. You know, he could he could mobile. He could sling it. I mean, he was he was yeah. He could do whatever he wanted. He was a phenomenal athlete. You know, he could he could still second base even when the whole world knew it was going to happen against the, the Yankees that year. So it's kind of the way he he went about it. He did. I, I feel like everybody you mentioned tonight, there was like some relation to the Red Sox. Like, but I guess that's where you spent most of your career. So it makes sense. Yeah, I mean that. Like I said, that pedigree, that time period. There's just so many people that stayed in the game after. Because I think he got this schooling, whether you realize it was happening or not, of, uh, of this or this education of baseball in the way that you wanted it to be played or whatnot. It doesn't say that's the only way, but in general, you look at the way that Red Sox-Yankees rivalry of the 2000s to 2000 and we'll say 10 or so, roughly right around there, 11 or 12. Um, they just did a really good job of raising players and then also raising front office guys. And I wasn't a part of the front office side of it, but you look at all the pedigree of guys that come out of there from the front office side of it. It's, it's pretty incredible. That is uh, Aaron Bates, Dodgers co-hitting coach. Uh, it was great to catch up with you, man. We appreciate it. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. In celebration of opening day, we've got a special episode of the Moth Podcast for you. The theme is baseball and the surprising ways it connects people. I gaze out at the players on the field, and then I, uh, I look over at my dad, and I, I realize that in the silence between us that something has changed. It's like I'm seeing him for the first time. Two stories about baseball, family, and so much more. The episode's available right now. Subscribe to The Moth Podcast to make sure you hear it.